the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Paddy Buckley. This is episode 276. Now, Paddy, we haven't had you on the show for a while, so you better remind listeners where you fit into this world of uh, technology in New Zealand. Hi, Paul. Thanks a lot. Great to be back. Uh, so I, I fit in by, uh, by virtue of the fact that I run QuickFlix New Zealand, which is a streaming movie service that some of your listeners might be aware of. We offer subscription movies, like oh, movies and TV shows, not unlike Netflix and, and, and Lightbox and Neon. And So that's one model. And then but unlike the others, we also offer new release pay-per-view movies to rent as well. So, for example, we'll have Star Wars coming in a few weeks. We've got the best Oscar movie winner, Spotlight, coming uh, a few weeks after that. And uh, so the brand new release movies are, are ones that you can rent digitally for 48 hours and, and so on. So we offer a bit of both. Cool, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into the, uh, the topics for the week. And uh, yeah, if you've got any other updates around uh, QuickFlix, we might ask you about that later. Sure thing. Um, now, first up, Microsoft have... Uh, well, they've got a little bit of unusual attention over the last few days. So over the weekend, um, our, our time, I suppose, or, or late, late last week, over Easter, Tay, which is their artificial intelligence uh, chatbot, came online. And this all seemed, um, seemed pretty cool, gathering a lot of Twitter followers and uh, targeted at, I think, sort of the 16 to 24 age group so they were trying to do some some experiments there to see how it would get on with interacting but it wasn't too soon before they said they were deeply sorry what do you think went wrong what have you heard well i mean look i've just seen a few a few of the headlines that the the chatbot started tweeting some i guess objectively relatively offensive things um so i mean i imagine that it was it, it was teed up effectively by uh you know, some deliberate uh, maliciousness, if that's the right way to put it. Is that, yes. is that, about, is that about right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, yes, that's, that's reality with these sorts of things that they will uh, maybe follow out your instructions. So if they're asked to repeat something offensive, they might repeat it. If you try and teach it something, then, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's a little bit like parents with their children. They might say to their uh, their son or their daughter, oh, I'm not sure you should be hanging out with those kids. You know, you've got to be careful who you hang around. And uh, yet, of course, Microsoft uh, put Tay online with with everyone, the good and the bad. And yeah, I guess it was an interesting experiment. And Tay tweets, yes, tweeted some, um, some rather objectionable uh, material. So yeah, I guess some, some, some lessons here. Yeah, and I mean it. It, it does. It, it gets to takes you to some pretty interesting areas. I think where you, you know, the, the, theoretically, you know, you need to start teaching these these AI things about morals and ethics and and things like that. And you know, I guess. But whose morals and ethics? Well, indeed. Where do you draw the line? Well, and yeah. and and where is it that we're um, we're restricting the content that people can have access to and so on? And you know, how does that apply as far as artificial intelligence systems are concerned? These are deep questions, Paul. Sorry. No, no, I do not. Don't be sorry. But they're, you know, <laughs> not sure we, we're, um, we're going to have time to answer them. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it's something to, to keep our eyes on for sure and how, how this sort of thing develops. Yeah, I mean, particularly in the sort of world where, where we value free speech so much and yet, 
yeah, with this type of technology, you're not going to be able to necessarily allow the technology to be able to be entirely free in its own speech. Yeah, agreed. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah, that's that's certainly a, a, a curious one. And for the meantime, Microsoft have uh, have taken Tay offline. So we will see what happens with this um, learning machine and to see whether they can get sort of Tay back online, maybe with some, some new guidelines uh, programmed in so that she doesn't uh, misbehave so much with her words in future, all right, now moving on, we saw over um, over the last few days also uh, a new concept. Now, it's not one that hadn't been considered uh, before, but we got to see some videos of what Microsoft are calling Portation. Now, I guess in a, in a simple sense, this is, this is very much like what we're used to from uh, Star Trek and other sort of science fiction TV and, and, and film. It looks very much like the concept of teleportation, but it actually works. You and I had a, just had a, had a look at the video again a few minutes ago. What, um, what are your thoughts on this concept, Patty, of being able to effectively use something, something like a Skype-type tool in conjunction with an augmented, augmented reality uh, headset, and this being a Microsoft demo, it was their uh, HoloLens that they'll be showing off this week at their build event in uh, in San Francisco, but it, it's it's down that track of being able to have people appear virtually as though they're in the same room as you. So you're looking out, you're seeing your room because you've got a headset on that lets you see reality. But then it augments that with uh, with what's being added from elsewhere. So you can have two people interacting both with headsets on, but in very different locations. And no doubt in the in the future, there, you know, there's the potential for uh, boardroom tables and all sorts of scenarios of inter- interaction to happen in this sort of augmented reality sense. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I watched the video with real interest. I thought it was great. I love it when you're at the beginning of a phase of technology, if you like, and, uh, you know, it's not exactly clear what's going to be a hit and what's going to be a miss and exactly what the sort of practical usages are. But, I mean, I think you've, you've you know, put your finger on it, you know, the... the the implications are, are, are pretty big and it's, yeah, I mean, I'll just, I guess I'm not an expert in the area. I'll just say I'll be watching with interest. I'll, you know, I, I, as ever, I think at the beginning of these phases, the other thing is that prices are prohibitively high. I mean, once you get beyond a sort of a, a development stage and into sort of a commercialization when it's, when it's really there for there and available to the public, then the early generations are expensive and it's not really until a few generations down the line that things get finessed and things become more accessible to you know day-to-day users but looks great to me i'm excited yeah i'm certainly looking forward to getting uh, hands-on and having a little bit of a play on it you know fairly soon so yes very very curious and of course this week also is when my when the oculus rift has landed so those that had uh, had pre-ordered the Oculus Rift, those have started landing with people now, not aware of anyone in New Zealand that's got it at this particular moment that we're recording, uh, but no doubt there will be over the next few days, uh, these will start arriving, a bunch of people in the US of course uh, have them already, um, that's a, a much more affordable product coming in at, uh, what is it, US uh, $600, which is yeah. still a reasonable chunk yeah. in terms of New Zealand dollars, and that needs to be connected into a, a fairly powerful sort of PC gaming, gaming type uh, computer. So yeah, no, it's not it's not low cost to get into the areas of of virtual reality 
or augmented reality just yet, certainly not in terms of the, uh, the best products. Of course, we've got you know, var- variations such as what uh, uh, Samsung are doing with the Gear VR, which is pretty low cost and with things like Google Cardboard. Mm. But I, I think there's a lot of development that will, that will keep going on in this front. And the, I think what, you know, what we've seen in the smartphones gives us a little bit of an idea of where, where it's heading, that it will become something that's much lower cost to produce yeah. in the future and produce something that's really, really good. And, you know, when you look at something uh, like the HoloLens, which is US $3,000 now, you can just assume that's going to that's gonna drop dramatically in price to where it, you know, becomes very, very accessible. Yeah. And, and maybe to a point where we will see something of that sort of ilk that ultimately uh, might run off a smartphone that sits in your pocket in conjunction with something that is more more familiar maybe or, or more comfortable to wear uh, maybe more down the track of what we've seen with google glass for instance which mm. isn't isn't too scary the thing i liked in that video the hololens one was the um they miniaturized everything and you could you could play it back and miniaturize it so that you you they put it on the coffee table so that you could see an interaction between two two different people in front of you in being replayed on you know on a coffee table in sort of miniature it was pretty awesome and I mean, there are so many areas you can turn this to. Of course, we can think of of you know the business aspects of it and industry manufacturing and so on. But imagine that for uh, sports replays, where you can you know you can totally change what you see, not what's being broadcast on TV, but you're really interested in maybe zooming in. Someone's just supposedly got bowled out in cricket, but someone's challenging it, and then you can play the whole thing back yeah. and zoom in Amazing. Uh, to your heart's content in 3D in front of you and actually work it out for you, for yourself. And it's the same thing on the coffee table. You can have the whole sort of pitch in, in front of you, and you know, I, I'm a big football fan, so I'm thinking about football and watching the players move off the ball and stuff that the, the, you know, the camera angles can't catch, or in rugby, or, or back to cricket, and you could watch the run out and whether the guy actually makes it into the crease you know, or not. It's going to take some impressive camera, 3D camera technology yeah, to be will. able to pitch us, uh, to to capture an, an entire space, uh, you know, such as a, a rugby or a cricket pitch, you know, those sorts of things. But it's all going to happen, isn't it? Mm, mm. I'm sure. I'm sure it will in time. Yeah. But that that sort of stuff's going to take a little while. Yeah, yeah, no I doubt. believe it, and and a little while for it to be it for the miniaturization to really come through and the uh, you know the prices to fall. But I can't see it you know not happening within within a few years. But whether that few is two years or or twelve years, I don't know. And when you're watching something back, so this is all going to end up, I say this is all, but what we've just been talking about, you think that's going to come out of your TV? Your TV is going to sort of beam a, a hologram in front of you? Or what, how do you see it all sort of? I, I mean, I think the, co- the concept of HoloLens, where, where, where a screen is making it appear uh, as though it's a hologram, but it's not a, a hologram in the traditional sense. Yep. I think that makes sense, unless they can develop some some other smart way of doing it, but I think the the traditional hologram type technology has, has just never really progressed very far. I'm not sure that we will see that move. Whereas this type of technology that you're you're seeing through a lens or through a screen makes a whole lot of mm. you know sense to me, and it's able to be personalised correctly. And uh, yeah, I think there's just a whole lot of a whole lot of challenges with a with a traditional hologram. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's my thought on it anyway. Mm. Um, Now, one that uh, no doubt some of our listeners already uh, heard about because it's got a bit of coverage in the media was about a house that got bowled down, demolished, apparently because of a Google Maps error. And 
and sent the team that were to knock this house down to the wrong address. Sounds kind of major, doesn't it? Yeah. How would you feel if uh, if this was your company and you had a demolition crew go out to the wrong place? I guess you'd hope your insurance was all all in place if you bolted down the wrong house. Yep. There could be a a fair few tears around this one. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's just a... What a nightmare. Catastrophe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, such is the sort of thing that tends to tends to happen in America. Um, fortunately, well, actually, in some ways, you could say there's more chance of that thing, that sort of thing, happening here, because you would expect their their map data probably to be better than ours. Although I've certainly had my challenges with what we get on uh, online maps and poor routes and things like that from from a mix of services. Which um, ones do you use? I use a bit of everything, but because I'm using the iPhone a lot at the moment and I've got uh, Apple CarPlay, that forces me when I'm in the vehicle to primarily use Apple Maps yep. for it to come up on the screen. Now, I can put, when I use my Android, that is better for mapping because with uh, Android Auto, that brings up the Google Maps on the, on yep. the screen yep. in the car and that is a bit, definitely a better experience yeah. from a traffic perspective and also from the accuracy of the, the routings and the time estimates to get to your destination. Although Apple Maps has come a long way, so yeah. it's, uh, it's way better than it, than it was in the, in the very early days when it, when it launched and messed things up. But it, it still gives me some silly routes and, and, and times and, and so on uh, these days from time to time. But yeah, nowhere near as, as bad as what it once was. I read, I think today, yesterday, there's a, a company called EEGO, which is mapping the whole world in 3D. Do you know about this? Yeah, I did read something about that. What have you, what have you heard? That's, that's about it, actually. That's, it. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. entirely yeah. my knowledge. Now, I yeah. remember, so they're based out of London, I think, and they're creating a sort of 3D model of you know, the whole world. And I think it's sort of, in, it's going to have a sort of gaming feel to it. Yeah. So I'm not sure quite what the um, practical uses, uses are and what they're, exactly what the plan is. Yeah. But it still struck me as pretty interesting. Mm. And mm. I think, I remember reading they're saying it's going to be as accurate as Google Maps and satellite data and all the rest of it. Yeah, well, no doubt. And in, in time, that will be that'll be totally possible. And I mean, there are already an element of, of 3D, you know, 3D data within some of the mapping uh, systems, of course, but it's not uh, it's not complete. Oh, the other uh, the other mapping app I use is the Microsoft one that comes into uh, Windows 10 and into their Windows Phone uh, 10 as well. Yeah, and that that draws on the uh, the Here Maps uh, data, which was until recently owned by uh, Nokia. So yeah, there's I mean all of those mapping systems, you know, I think are pretty good in terms of what we've got available now. They're, yeah, uh, the streets here to where we where we used to be but still mistakes happen and yeah I've, I've certainly run into one or two of those myself but not too often these days is there any any merit in buying mapping data i see i know that you can buy some for you know twenty dollars twenty five dollars or or in some cases you know in terms of apps or in terms of, in terms of apps i mean yeah right, yeah um, i mean i mean i've never never really had any problems with google maps and it's just there and it's you can it's offline as well. You can use it, use it, which works well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a potential to have problems with any of the any any of the platforms, basically. Um, so probably wouldn't you you won't get perfection on on any particular platform. They'll all ha- always have a shortcoming from time to time or, or an error. But yeah, I mean, certainly the even even the manufacturers like uh, TomTom and and so on that that still sell their in-car GPS units. They tend to have the software applications as well. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm pretty happy with running it running it through my smartphone and the conveniences you get of being able to search for something on your phone before mm. you walk out of the house or walk out of the office and mm. uh, and just plug that in and and away you go. So yeah, I quite quite like the convenience there, even if uh, we don't have absolute perfection yet, but. Of course, it won't be too many years away that it will. It'll, and of course, we can use our voices as well now. So I certainly use that in the car. Yep. But yeah, it won't be too long before we, you know, we just say where we want to go, and of course, the vehicle will take us there as well. And we don't have to think too much about it. So it's all heading in the right direction. Well, I think it is anyway. I like the direction it's going until the evil robotic overlords take over the planet. Yes. Now we talked talked about Oculus Rift. So yes, that will be that'll be quite interesting just to see how they go in terms of sales. And of course they're not they're not the only kid on the block. I think it was last last week or, or, or two talked about uh, Sony's PlayStation VR. Uh, there's the HTC Vive that's uh, that's coming through shortly as well that I, I know will be generating a, a lot of interest. So it's it's reasonably uh, splintered, I would say, at the moment in terms of uh, virtual virtual reality options. So how do you how do you see that playing out, or is it a bit early to say? I th- it is a little bit hard to say because we're not likely to see probably mass adoption within within the next few months i wouldn't think it'll be it'll be huge just because of the price points yeah and because it will take a little while for the the software ecosystems to mature yeah and for also for the for the technology to become super reliable for you not to be sort of feeling woozy or feeling like throwing up when you put on these things which has been one of the challenges so there are a fair few pieces that need to fall together they work. I mean, they work differently, don't they? In some cases, you know, some connect to, to one thing but not to others, and you know that connectivity is one point. And I think there are other other clear differences as well at the moment. Do you think they'll be uniform or become more uniform in, over time in terms of how they work and so on? Well, I mean, I think it's fairly fairly common to see each each vendor being inspired by others as we see technology uh, develop. And you know, at this stage, there aren't necessarily massive differences between the offerings. I mean, there, there definitely are some, you know, some key, uh, some key differences, and yeah, the software is a part of that. And then, what are the other pieces that play into it in terms of controllers and so on? So, from from a gaming perspective, having a having a you know varying controller type options can be useful. Being able to track hand movements and 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 body movements, so it's not uh, just track doing head tracking. All of those, all of those sorts of things, uh, you know, play into the picture, but they also impact price. Mm. And yeah, when you want to get something out to a really mass market, it either needs to be so useful that everybody wants it, or it needs to come down to a price where people will will just buy it anyway, even though it's not uh, meeting a, a multitude of needs. But uh, sorry, I think I saw a comment might have been the Wall Wall Street Journal that that was talking about the Oculus Rift being the the sort of thing you want your neighbour to get, so that you can have yeah, a bit of a nice. play with it and and so on. But it's maybe not the thing that you want to drop your own cash yeah. uh, down on. So yeah. I mean, there will be there will be a whole bunch of people that that of course are very keen to to have this and to to spend a lot of time with it. But in terms of the general populace, I think most people would love to have a little bit of a play, um, but they're not going to want to spend hours and hours and hours each day yeah. um, with their head inside a virtual reality headset. That'll be my pick anyway. Mm. But uh, time will time will see how how quickly that develops and what sort of problems get solved with the technology, and from business perspective as as well as just uh, entertainment wise. 
And of course, there's some interesting aspects that uh, where these things tend to end up uh, from an entertainment perspective too. Now, there was uh, some news over the weekend that uh, came through around the new iOS uh, 9.3 update that I saw uh, hit in Gadget. And this one jumped out at me because uh, it seemed to relate to me. So they were talking around the fact that some iOS users can't visit web links, uh, having troubles tapping on web links within uh, you know, the built-in uh, Apple apps and, and even uh, third-party apps like Chrome, for instance. Of course, Chrome still in the background draws on Apple's uh, rendering engine, the sort of elements of, of Safari uh, for the browsing, so that that might well explain that, and also seeing browsers sort of hang and, and crash, and that was pretty much my experience over um, over the last few days since iOS 9.3's come out. I've just been finding it a complete nightmare to try and uh, try and use the iPhone because I tend to spend a fair bit of time y- using a browser when I'm um, particularly over you know weekend and and so on and on mobile. Um, not really sitting, spending a lot of time sitting down in front of a PC or a laptop or a tablet. Just the smartphone that's in your pocket you use to look up and, and read bits and pieces. And uh, yeah, bit of a poor experience. So no doubt Apple will be uh, hard at work on uh, on that one, and we'll have a have a fix soon. But yeah, in the meantime, it's um, it's definitely been making it easier for me to pick up a few of the other phones that I've been wanting to spend some time with recently. Um, just, just I can see you picking up another phone there, which you're going to talk about. But just before we leave Apple, have, what, what, anything else on the, on the, on nine point three? That is that night, night shift, isn't there? Have you, yeah, have you had yeah, a look at that? I've, yeah. I've turned that on, and um, is it discernible? You, you do notice it. It's not so. It, it's uh, I guess it's nice having your phone not being so in your face in terms of brightness and in terms of the uh, the tone. So yeah. a bit of a, a bit of a warmer shade rather than a than a very sort of daylighty shade when so you this pick is up the, your phone late at night. This is the blue light, isn't it? That it's it's is it stopping it or is it just reducing it? I'm not too sure. I think but it, just, it just gives you a sort of a warmer a warmer white. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that's 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 my view on on looking at it anyway. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah. I mean, it's not quite white anymore, but yeah, it's a very a very it's much much warmer and. Uh, yeah, it's okay. su- supposed maybe it, it is the blue that it sort of takes out of it to um, not wake you up so much. Or That's something. what it is. I, th- I mean, yeah. I think the blue yeah. light apparently yeah. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to not trick you, but kind of your, your body believes that it's still daylight when it takes in a lot of this blue light. Apparently, mm. Mm. So, so yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, that seems good. I'm not sure that I've slept any better or anything <laughs> like that, but uh, there yeah. you go. Okay. Um, so yeah, talking talking about new devices. So. We talked about this one some weeks ago. Uh, Bill brought one back from uh, Mobile World Congress, but I've had a, a little bit more of a chance to have a play around and getting a little bit familiar with it, and it's Huawei's Mate 8. Now, this is... We were talking about it earlier. It's it's a pretty stylish handset, isn't it? I think it looks absolutely fantastic. I've got to say, I mean, I've, you... We've we've exchanged plenty of, of chatter about about operating systems and and personal preferences and all the rest of it. But you know, I, I'm an Android guy guy, so I'm you know I guess I would uh, favour something like that. But I look at it, and the thing I like most of all, and the thing the objection I have to the just the general design of the iPhone is the the, the fact that at the top and the bottom of the handset, there's by virtue of having the fingerprint sensor on the front, which is what uh, iPhones do, is that there's a lot of extra space required just on the handset uh, and at the top as well now now this huawei has got the fingerprint sensor on the back 
I first saw something a bit like it mainstream with the LG G3. It didn't have a fingerprint sensor, but it had the power button on the back, which was neat. You pick it up, and it's just a sort of a natural fit for where your where your index finger goes. That's right. And now yeah. it's this, now that now they've souped it up, and the, actually the LG G5 has got it, I think, as well. But that Huawei's got it, and um, you know, and and the Nexus Six, which is the phone, the Six P, which is the phone I've got at the moment. It's it's which is made by Huawei. You know, it's got this fingerprint sensor on the back, and I've got to say, I mean, the one on my Nexus is superb, and I imagine that. Mate 8 one is exactly the same, which yeah, means it's just brilliant. It's very nice. Now, you always used to be an HTC fan. Then you went on to uh, LG. Yeah. Why have you gone for um, Huawei or the, the Nexus 6, 6P? Well, I mean, again, I mean, you know, I can't stress enough. It comes down to personal preferences. So this is just me. But I really like a big screen for browsing and, and so on. I, I, do, I do enjoy the bigger screens. It was always a problem of mine with Apple phones that the, the screens just weren't big enough. And, but then the, uh, the, the, the 6 Plus came out and, you know, but it's just a socking great handset, the 6 Plus, because, because of that extra space at the top and bottom. You know, but when you when you put the, the fingerprint sensor around the back, you know that Huawei, uh, you and I looking at it, and our great listeners unfortunately don't have that that privilege at the moment. But I mean, there's very little going on at the top and bottom there. That's a six inch screen, I think you said, and it's it's no bigger than the iPhone's five point five inch screen. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's very as you say, it's a very nice stylish handset with the um, the metal casing and having that fingerprint reader and the in the back below the camera is a very nice and convenient um, way to use it. So took me no time to get used to having it there either, by the way. Yeah. No, yeah. no time at all. Yep. Yep. And you've got pretty good overall uh, specs and in terms of, you know, good, pretty capable camera front, front and back, you know, front facing cameras, eight megapixel and the performance of it. I mean, it's very, very fast. There don't seem to be too many, too many issues there. Um, having that nice big gorgeous screen, I think is uh, is pretty good. I can't imagine too many people being uh, being disappointed with this. No, again, I mean when it comes down to personal preferences. So, so, so my six um, P's got a, a five point seven inch screen. I think that Huawei same sort of size, and they've crammed in a six inch screen. That's amazing. The overall size of that handset is still pretty big. So, you know, I don't know at what, time, what, what point you go from a phone to a, a, a phablet. For me, I'm, I'm kind of reaching the conclusion. They're merging now, though, aren't they? they? I think they are. Because our smartphone screens are getting bigger and yeah. bigger. You know, other, other than looking at the uh, iPhone, you know, SE, SE. which has gone, yeah. gone for the, the smaller form factor, it's, um, it's reasonably common to see the uh, above 5-inch, you know, screen, yeah. screens now. I'm feeling 5.3, 5.5, that kind of area is, is the sweet spot for me personally. That's, that's a big screen, but if it's coupled with a really nice, des- nicely designed handset that doesn't have too much going on at the top and bottom of the handset, you know, beyond the screen, then, then I think it's, it sort of fits in your pocket okay. Now, what, what we are missing from, from some of these handsets is what we've seen Samsung doing. So they're, they're bringing to the table, you know, a waterproof or, you know, splash proof yep. to a degree. I mean, you can, you can take them un, underwater. And, and we're not sort of seeing the wireless charging right across the board on the other vendors, but that seems to be something now Samsung are, uh, are making pretty standard, both of those two, uh, two capabilities. Is that enough to sort of push, uh, push Samsung to the front? I mean, it seems like the, the, the S7 is a very nice all-round phone, great yeah. camera, 
you know, very, very capable. But when you've got the likes of uh, Huawei, you know, delivering a really gorgeous handset, it's coming in at 1099 so it's, you know, it's not low cost, but it's very competitive on most of the features, but it doesn't quite tick uh, the same boxes as the S7, uh, for instance, and of course it doesn't have that brand cachet that I, that I think Samsung um, carry, you know, carries a little bit of... Uh, weight behind its brand to some degree like what uh, what Apple has but not to probably the same extent for certainly for, for some people so I, I mean I th- again I think it's sort of horses for courses I mean I've never felt the need to drop my phone into a vase of water I just just haven't felt the need to do that and, I don't uh, think most people have feel the need <laughs> to do that uh, Paddy okay look I'm being a little bit uh, crazy little, kid. yeah okay but I mean I guess what I'm saying is I've never had a phone conk out on me because it got wet I've never had to interrupt a phone call because I was you know in the outside in the pouring rain and i had to stop talking uh, but i guess I'd, I, I'd feel reassured if I, my phone was a bit waterproof but look beyond that I, I think there is an irony here on the android side that you and i were talking about before the show here where in my mind and this is again it's just a personal thing but samsung have now nailed it in the sense that i felt for a few generations of phone there their phones were a bit plasticky and there was a bit much bloatware and it feels like now they've eliminated the bloatware they've produced a really beautifully designed phone and it's interesting that they're probably proportionately now selling fewer devices than they, than they were a couple of generations ago, when in my mind the, the phone was markedly less good. So I don't know so what So why that is that? Is that because everyone now has a really good top-end phone and there's a lot more competition for Samsung? So even though theirs might be the, the pick of the bunch today, will be lots of – well, there is already lots of other competition – and there are so many vendors that are also launching Android uh, smartphones. And you know, when we looked back a couple of years, we weren't really seeing a lot from Huawei, uh, certainly locally. And most people wouldn't have considered Huawei as a brand they would go to for a nice-looking premium handset that ticked most of the boxes. Yeah. But you know, we're now now seeing what was a, virt- a virtually unknown brand now releasing some good devices, and they're spending the money getting their getting their brand out all over the place, whether it's airline magazines and other things, you know, the fashion elements of their smartwatches that they're promoting in magazines and billboards and so yeah. on. They're, they're, uh, they're coming along quite quickly, aren't they, as a, as a brand from getting noticed and it must be impacting Samsung. I, I'm sure it is. Uh, look, Samsung do appear to be selling slightly fewer handsets than they, than the, than they were, certainly at the, at the top, top level. I mean, I think they've got more models, haven't they, than nearly anyone in, in the sense that they go right across the the board there um so they've got they've got more models but i think i mean huawei have certainly really upped their game i think i i when i the first lg phone i took serious notice of was the g3 i thought that was great and now the g5 is is coming out and it looks superb so you've got some real competitors at, at that top level but i think i think as well it 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 goes you know i, I don't think that you and me and our listeners here t- today are necessarily you know average audience and uh, you know not not audience average sort of target consumers uh you know it's a lifestyle choice isn't it as well and so the brand comes into it and you know there's a lot more choice now price point you know, all sorts of things. I don't personally care much about waterproofing, but people do, it seems. Yes, well, we had a Gorilla customer or within, uh, might have been end of last week, who uh, whose phone ended up somewhere where it got wet and uh, needed to be replaced. And it's not uncommon for that, that sort of thing to uh, to happen. So, yeah, it is, it is a reality, but there's also dealing with broken screens sure. and, and, and other sorts of issues. So. But you can, I mean, you can picture ahead a couple of, generations and aren't all the top end features going to be the same they're all 
I mean, I don't, I don't know whether removable storage is going to be a thing in the, you know, as we move forwards with, but I mean, Samsung have brought it back for, for the S7, haven't they? But, but um, That's right. And we, and we also, yeah, we're also seeing that in, my, in most of the Huawei handsets. Um, yeah. Now, just, I know some of the, um, some people will be interested just in terms of the difference between how that Mate 8 will launch in New Zealand versus internationally. So we've been told that 1099 is the, uh, the launch pricing, three gigs of RAM and 32 gigs of storage locally. Um, it will be a single SIM card model. Uh, so you probably, the people that are really keen on a dual SIM model, I think those will be available, uh, but not through the traditional sort of local channels and will be parallel imports. So, okay. I mean, as for me, I, I'm mostly okay with having a single SIM card handset, and uh, but it is nice to see some of those dual, dual SIM card handsets uh, coming through as well, although we, we don't see them through official channels very often in New Zealand, if, if at all. Mm. Sorry, what else were you going to say, there, oh, Penny? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> no, I th- I, look, I think I was talking about the, the 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 fact that in a couple of generations, pretty much everything will be all the features will be standard. So my six Nexus six P's got a USB C charger, uh, charges really quickly, which is amazing. But it doesn't have wireless charging. Whereas this new uh, one's just got back to exactly. a, a standard exactly you know, micro USB. Yep, and yeah. removable storage. You know, is that going to just fade away as everything goes? You know, goes to the cloud more and more. I would have thought so, but. You know, I'm I'm not an expert in this area, just a humble commentator. So, uh, mm. you know, difficult to, but I'm, it just feels like everything's going to be a bit waterproof. Everything's going to have USB-C. Everything's going to charge wirelessly. Everything's going to have a screen with the sort of pressure points on it. And, you know, it's all going to, I don't know, I, I, I wonder where the differenti- differentiation is going to be. Mm. You know, the LG mm. G3 that I had, for example, the G5's come out. It looks more and more like a Samsung phone and like, like, like an iPhone or whatever else. They're... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Now, I wanted to jump on to another topic. Yeah. It was reported that Toyota are going to make automatic braking. And, and this, I think this, this is referring to the technology that is really a, safe, you know, a safety technology that we've, we've seen in a number of, uh, from a number of manufacturers, but traditionally the high-end manufacturers. Um, Ford have been quite at the forefront of this. But Toyota have announced that from uh, or by the end of next year, the very large majority of their, uh, their vehicles will have uh, this sort of safety feature enabled. And, and what it does is it, they've got sensors that basically are, are looking out for a collision and are able to sort of slow down or, or, or stop the vehicle. Now, I didn't manage to get a huge amount of information out of Toyota locally because uh, I was curious, is this actually going to apply here in New Zealand? Often we hear these announcements and news out of the US or or other markets, but they might not apply locally. But uh, their commentary is that it that it should apply locally. In terms of just the you know generally accessible vehicle brands, Ford is is really the other player that's that's really been pretty busy in in the area of launching these types of uh, safety technologies. And we've talked about that uh, in the past. Their their main piece that does something similar is what's called um, Active City Stop. And it's designed to avoid those sort of bumper-to-bumper collisions when you're when you're on the motorway at slow speed, you're caught in traffic, uh, and you're you're going sort of less than 40 k's an hour, or when you're uh, you know maybe taking off at an intersection and then the person in your you're maybe looking one way to check and you start moving away and the person in front of you stops uh, for those types of uh, those types of scenarios. But I think this is this has got to be good, doesn't it? Having uh, having more manufacturers bringing uh, these types of technologies in as mainstream. I think there'll be some other bits and pieces as well. Um, the, the technology that looks with you, you know, sliding out of your lane and so on when you're on the motorway too. Yep. 
I agree completely. I mean, I think all of these are, are good, are good safety measures, and uh, you know, should be encouraged. It's. I think it's all. It's all part of that move to autonomous vehicles yep. that will, uh, you know, will be able to drive themselves. And ultimately, I think that will just become a standard feature. But there will be a point between now and when it is a standard feature. And looking at how slow the the uh, automakers move, I know you know we've talked about autonomous vehicles being being available within the next uh, you know four to five years. In terms of it being a standard feature in every vehicle, my pick is that that's probably still in the direction of sort of 10, 10 years away before yep. it just can can be absolutely standard. Maybe maybe even a little bit more. It certainly could be, could be less. Uh, it comes down in part to how much competition there is and just how low cost it becomes to put this technology in. And it's, it's not inconceivable to think that the technology to do this will be less than the cost or at this, a similar cost to what a smartphone costs mm. uh, today to put it into a vehicle. So in many ways it will become a, a negligible cost. But, of course, car manufacturers are, are out there looking to make a bit of profit along the way there, there too. So exactly how that lands, there, there's, there's, still, there's still a little bit to, uh, to come. But I'd be picking, if I had to pick a number out of the year, I would be thinking uh, 9 to 10 years until until you know autonomous capabilities are, are standard in the large majority of vehicles and do you see it as the car manufacturers themselves will be driving sorry for the pun but driving that forwards or do you sorry do, or do you Funny uh, sorry or do you see it as their technology companies primarily that will move into the automotive industry or do you see it as partnerships and things like that well i, I mean i think if you're in this game, uh, if you're a big auto uh, manufacturer, you're, you're leading a big auto manufacturer, you're pretty worried at the moment about what the future holds. And so from my, my talks with the likes of Ford, they're working pretty hard on their strategies to make sure that they're, they're, they're still a viable business in the future. Yeah, They realise there will be big changes. We've got changes coming such as sort of growing uh, mega cities with bigger and bigger populations. Uh, we've got developing world where more and more people are moving into a position where they can afford type of vehicle that they've never afforded in the past. Uh, but all of those things come with their own sorts of challenges. So, you know, they're working through that on one side. And then on the other side, uh, autonomous vehicles, vehicle sharing and uh, multi-mode transport where people might, you know, use a, a whole mix of modes and, and technology will help them with that. Yeah. The, the idea of uh, shared ownership or, or, or people not needing to own a vehicle, and I could certainly see, you know, myself getting into that position as these things move forward reasonably quickly where I don't need to have to pay for a vehicle that's sort of sitting in a garage most of the time that uh, you just request a vehicle uh, to come when you need it and it takes you where you need it and, and then disappears off and serves somebody else. So yeah, that whole whole area I think has, has a huge amount of change and the automakers, I guess where I was trying to get to, will be just doing everything to make sure that they're they're still in business, whatever whatever that looks like. So I think from a competitive perspective, because we've we've got the newer companies coming through like Tesla that already offer uh, a reasonable capability in terms of a level of autonomous uh, driving, and then the higher end manufacturers like uh, you know Mercedes providing this capability, it'll just become an absolute necessity that that it has to be there. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess it's like looking around at uh, at anybody that uh, made cell phones ten years ago. You know, there aren't uh, there aren't any of those that are sitting around not making a smartphone today. Yeah. So it's just a it's just a natural pro- progression, and it's. Uh, it's it's a requirement to be in the business. Yeah. yeah. Okay then. 
those are those are my immediate thoughts on it anyway. But yeah, good good to see the competition, and uh, it's good good to see it all rolling along. Um, now, one other thing I did I did come across, which is in a similar field, is uh, Samsung's smart windshield for motorcycles. Now, this is something it's it's not in not in production yet, but uh, Samsung have shown it off. And it's a little bit different to what we've seen for motorcycles in the past because um, there have been helmets and 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 earpieces for, uh, for for motorcyclists for you know communications and uh, helmets that I guess give them a sort of a, a heads up type view. Um, but this is is aimed at uh, populating information into a into a smart uh, windshield on a motorbike and will give them access to a to a, a range of capabilities uh, navigation probably being a being a key one but uh, you know even able to uh, to tie into um, yeah the, the everyday sorts of things that we would we would do through uh, through phones while we're um, you know while we're, while we're traveling around uh, phone calls and, and and text messages and uh, and so on um, so yeah this one uh, this one looks kind of kind of curious um, what do you think about that having um, Having something that's uh, that's tied in to the windshield because that, to a degree, depending on you know where you are, may mean you're sort of having to look down to, exactly to see that information. Is that good or or bad? Because I guess there might be a couple of schools of thought on it. You know, one is well, it's not always in your view, which is good that you're not seeing this information distracting you all the time. The other is if you're kind of having to look down at it, yeah, then you're taking your, you're road. taking your attention yeah. off the road. So. I'm so sorry to come on to this show and uh, answer you in this way, but I'm not a biker and I don't really know the answer to that question. I think that, you know, I mean, you've got the exact two points and the, you know, the, the balancing there that, that, um, that's required. If you've got it in your helmet and it's always there, is there a way maybe to turn it on and off from your helmet? Might that be a sort of a, you know, some sort of middle ground so that, you know, the information pops up or somehow it's done in a not very intrusive way. Mm, um, mm. I, I mean, to me, that was my very first reaction. I thought, wow, that's a cool thing, a smart windshield uh, for a bike. But then I thought, oh, hang on a minute, you're going to be looking down and taking your attention off the road. So alternatively, you might have a slightly differently designed bike that might have a slightly higher windshield, which is going to allow you to take in that information and while still keeping your eyes on the road. Yeah, well, the, so the, yeah, um, the, the the demo that I saw did, did look like a yeah a higher wooden shield from the from the bike, you know, rather than one of those sort of tiny tiny little ones you'd really have to crouch down to be uh, to yeah, be okay. looking looking at closely. But yeah. you know, I guess all of these all of these concepts and and ideas are are good because they 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 lead us to that next point, and it might be that the, what we're getting to is that there are some sort of standard interface between our bits and pieces of technology and our motorbikes because you know at at the moment you know we think of cars and we think of the uh, the entertainment systems that are that are built into our cars car stereos and so on in the past anyway most of those have been pretty disappointing in terms of how slowly they move and how your smartphone interfaces that's improved with the advent of of Android Auto and Apple CarPlay that it allows you to link in all the smart your smartphone into that a little bit easier in a in a vehicle to uh, to give you an interface although I'm sure we'll see more of more development of that where some of that information moves to heads up display that might be coming uh, from the phone rather than it just being in the in the center yep. there or whatever your screen is and you know with with some of the smarter vehicles the uh, BMW i3 
and uh, the the Teslas, you know, you end up with a pretty big screen uh, that's displaying information, which which in itself could be uh, could be something of a distraction. So, yeah, I think there's there's a an ongoing journey here, but I I like seeing the new ideas keep coming through. And, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they're just a f- fundamental point, isn't there? I mean, I guess that the Apple and Google have sought to address this in their you know in car designing, but but you know the more things you enable as being enabled, I guess, to be capable of doing in the car, you know, that is, you know, just, just fundamentally, unless it's all going to be voice activated, I suppose that's the point, isn't it? But otherwise, I mean, everything that you're able to do, you know, an email, a message, I mean, okay, it's with your voice, but you're still thinking about it and you're still potentially, even if your eyes are on the road, your mind might be elsewhere. Well, that, that's where the other sort of safety technologies come into play. And of course, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, airbag technology becoming available for motorcycles in, in uh, recent years. And then, you know, we've got the, the, the gyroscope type technologies that can, uh, you know, can, can help uh, a vehicle sort of, you know, stay balanced. Yeah. And certainly some of the technology I've seen coming through, uh, the likes of, uh, you know, CES, uh, show that that those new technologies are are coming through to you know motorbikes and and variations on on motorbikes now yeah. some of those are from completely new companies but those things that uh, that are coming out of those startups will will more than likely uh, you know end up in uh, in the motorbikes from big big, big manufacturers so yeah, yeah. you know my my pick is that um, riding a motorcycle will probably become less dangerous in future as these technologies augment but there's a, maybe there's a potential for an in-between point where uh, some of the technologies come through and we, we end up with an added distraction. And, you know, when you think about it today, uh, most people have a much higher chance of getting distracted by a cell phone when they're sitting in a car uh, as they would compared to being on a motor, motorcycle. Um, so maybe we're going to see a, a slight increase there uh, in issues with some of these technologies until we transition to a point where... Uh, you know, we see a fuller development of the, the safety mechanisms coming through. Mm. All right, well, that's that's probably just about um, just about it for this week. Um, but I do have there's one one other area I'd like to touch on, and um, actually, Bill Bennett was writing about this, and I know NBR covered it as well. And this is uh, Spark buying up some more some more broadband spectrum. So this is is rather curious. So last week, the Commerce Commission has uh, given the go-ahead for um, for Spark to acquire uh, a 70 megahertz chunk of um, uh, the 23 megahertz spectrum range, the, the band from uh, Craig Wireless and, uh, and Woosh. Now... That's quite a big chunk, and when we when we when we think about that, this could go quite nicely, sort of hand in hand with uh, what Skinny have been offering, which is 4G data via a mobile uh, router that you can put in your home, and you know allows people to get big, you know, reasonable, reasonably sized um, data caps for a home broadband connection that is not going across our traditional copper or across the ultra-fast broadband network. And uh, this extra chunk, presuming that uh, uh, Spark can jump through whatever hoops that they uh, they need to not to lose the spectrum, I think they have to, uh, have to get it activated and so on um, this year. Um, otherwise, it will, uh, it will expire. Uh, but presuming they can get all those pieces... Uh, in place and start using it, I would think that would give them quite a big advantage over the uh, over the other over the other players in the market. 
Would you find this convenient having um, you know having more options around your your broadband access? I know I've used in the last few weeks. Uh, Skinny sent they sent over uh, in February their 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 router. In fact, uh, they launched that at one hundred ninety nine dollars. I think in uh, the late January and February. It's now down to uh, $99, and uh, then you pay, what is it, $55 a month for uh, 60 gigs worth of uh, mobile data. So if something like a beach house or temporary requirement where you need some, some internet for a short period, uh, or just you don't use a whole lot so you can cope with 60 gigs, that, that seems to be quite a, quite a good option. And no doubt if, uh, if Spark are buying up uh, more, more radio spectrum, then uh, it will allow them to offer this to, uh, to more and more customers. Yeah, look, again, I think it's, it comes down to people's own particular sort of use scenarios. I don't, I don't see much of a use for it for me personally, just the way I conduct myself. But other people, uh, you know, the batch, other 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 things that you've just said, I think, uh, I think that I think it could could fit quite neatly. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's definitely one one to watch. Yeah, I mean, we we uh, we used one of these for our um, um, Asia Pacific podcast conference recently. We needed to make sure there was some good bandwidth there for uh, some video streaming, and yep. uh, we we grabbed one of these and uh, and plugged it in. And away we went, and it was it was just fine. We only needed it for for a couple of days, mm. but getting some sort of fixed connection that was going to deliver handy. what we what we needed. There was actually already a fixed connection in there. I think it was probably ADSL. It just wasn't delivering the uh, the level of you know, upload performance that we needed, and uh, that type of connection was great. So yeah, it's it's very curious what this might do to to the balance because it really would give potentially give Spark a much better capability than uh, what Vodafone and, and Two Degrees have. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting one to watch to see how they actually go ahead and implement this. Now, I heard a figure. I'm not sure if this has been written online, but I, I saw something uh, bandied around that uh, this acquisition was under 10, 10 million. And that's quite interesting because, as I recall it, the last block of uh, Spectrum which was the um, the 700 megahertz uh, 4G spectrum that uh, Vodafone and Spark were uh, were battling it out for that went for in the direction of 100 million. Yeah. Uh, so in the scheme of things, this is not a uh, not a massive not a massive purchase for Spark, but could be a very smart long term move for them. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. I've got one more thing for you, by the way, before we sign oh, off. Yes, well, yes. I was just thinking about. Um, you know, car security and uh, brakes and windshields and all the rest of it. There was yep. a proposal, I think, out of the States that was going to um, criminalise, what, what do they call it, distracted walking. So walking while texting. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, OK. Well, And you could get a fine or imprisonment. I mean, no doubt not for a long time, but nonetheless, you know, you could be incarcerated for walking and texting. What do you think of that? Well, I don't think they should do it in New Zealand because we've already got, uh, apparently, we've got a, a, a pretty high number of people that are already in prison here on a per capita basis. So, yeah, let's not let's not do that here. Otherwise, they're going to have to build even more prisons. Hmm, it's an interesting one. I, I guess it might encourage people to uh, to start using their um, their digital assistants like Siri and and so on. More keep your phone in your pocket. Yeah, we're, we're one of those yeah. uh, funny Bluetooth. Uh, uh, headsets. Pedestrian um, deaths are on the rise, it seems. Mm. So, you know, I mean, they won't be doing this for no reason. It seems a little bit heavy-handed, but, <laughs> but you know, I imagine there's a problem there that they're seeking to address. Well, maybe. You never, you never quite know with, with politicians exactly what drives them. Yep. Yeah. Now, actually, interesting 
one other thing that I that I will 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 mention was uh, Mauricio from from Geekzone was mentioning on uh, on Facebook how he quite often gets uh, email messages for other people, and uh, I think he was referring to his Gmail account or maybe to a an Outlook dot com or Hotmail account. Um, but I've experienced this too. I was in when I was in the UK last year. I got a message for a particular Paul Spain that appeared in my Gmail. And, uh, it I started. I got a few messages. It wasn't just one, and it wasn't just from the same person. So I realised that uh, this particular Paul Spain must have uh, maybe had recently joined up to Gmail and uh, had forgotten what address that he'd actually signed up under. And of course, I had I had Paul Spain since since the very early days of the uh, the the Gmail beta. It was one of my one of my friends was at at Google in the um, in the early days, and uh, she, you know she sent me um, sent me one of the first invites. And so, you know, there was no chance of this chap being able to get Paul Spain at um, uh, at Gmail. So he went ahead and got whatever he got, and I'm not not sure what he got. But it was it was curious because from the email, I was able to f- sort of figure out where he was. And I'm one of those people that had Googled myself in the past. And uh, this particular chap had come up in those searches. I guess he was the one of the other Paul Spains in the world. One of the, the there's one in the US as well that was uh, trying to get voted into Congress. I think he failed actually. Maybe needed a better name. But uh, yeah, so this this guy I'd come across. So I was in the UK at the time. I thought, well, it's pretty easy to call. He was based in Ireland, so I thought, well, I'll just make a quick call across to uh, to Ireland. And and so I called up his uh, his house, and of course his, his wife was uh, uh, scratching her head a little bit when I said it's Paul Spain here. I'm calling for Paul Spain, uh, no the other Paul Spain. But um, yeah, I, I heard her uh, chatting away to her husband in the background, deciding whether he'd take the call or not. Uh, and eventually he did, and I explained to him uh, the challenge, and that I was getting some some rather personal emails uh, for him. And uh, yeah, since that he managed to, uh, I guess, alert alert people. He gave me his real email address, I think, and uh, we forwarded things on, and it stopped. But um, yeah, it seems to be one of those reasonably common occurrences. Have you ever had that happen to you? No, Patty? no I haven't. But I'm interested to hear how Mauricio is is uh, getting them because his name doesn't feel to me like it would be quite as common as uh, as Paul Spain. Yeah, um, Mauricio are you Fre- calling Freitas? my name common? Well, I'm not, but I'm calling it more <laughs> common than Mauricio's name, which I think is probably a fair fair conclusion. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure what his what his email uh, address was, and what, while his name might not be so common in New Zealand, we've got a reasonably That's big true. big Good planet point. where yep. uh, English isn't uh, actually the the um, the main language for lots of people. So yeah, kind of. So globally, you're saying that he might be. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. His name hmm. might be more common than yours. Okay. Who, knows? Who knows? And 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 it depends on what his actual email address is. That is as another well. good point. So, yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Well argued. Uh, but yeah, some interesting comments from people on on his email thread of uh, shutting down people's email accounts or uh, you know receiving somebody else had received uh, you know PDFs or they received some tickets somebody had bought. Oh, wow. uh, online for yep. a, for a local event, and yeah, I think they managed to track down the person and forward them on. But uh, yeah, it is a is a reminder to be uh, to be a little bit careful about these things. Yeah, uh, if you're using a generic address. Yeah, uh, but much better to get a proper domain name and I've so on, that, so actually. there's much less chance of having problems. Yeah. So yeah. have you got a? Have you got? I just a, I got Buckley.net.nz. Excellent. Uh, which I'll be commissioning shortly. I'm still wondering actually what um, email client to use and things like that. And I'm uh, well, I'm just thinking about that right now. 
Mm. But let's not bore your listeners with my how to my, how to yeah. host their personal yeah. email. Well, I mean, it's, it's oh, probably a thing if, a few people are interested sure. in. We won't dive too far into it, but I mean, I would be tending to uh, to to look at Google or Microsoft to host that sort of thing. And yep. it's a it's a reasonably low cost thing. I know mean, a lot of people that have gone down that track. You know, when uh, when the shorter domain names became available in New Zealand, I picked up Spain dot nz nice because uh, for a long time somebody had, had Spain dot nz, but they didn't didn't grab the shorter one, even though they had priority for it. So. That's the track I've gone down. I know uh, Paul Brislin has done something similar. He's got Brislin.nz, and now you've got Buckley.net.nz. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, I think I think it's yeah, it's a it's a good approach. Um, no. Some complexities there for for those who maybe got broader family that they're wanting to cater to, because that can start becoming a, a bit more complex. And of course, there's the temptation to use some of these sort of uh, low cost or free uh, ISP or web host uh, email services that can be uh, you know pretty poor in terms of popping email and mm. and uh and whatnot so um yeah that could probably be a bit of a harder challenge if if uh, you know you're wanting to wanting to do that but you're wanting to do it on the cheap you might not end up with maybe with such good uh, good results i feel like i'll probably just default to to google but i've already got a gmail address so I, i'm imagining there's no difficulty in switching between accounts and things like that on the various apps and so on that's the kind of thing i'll be exploring and the you know rather than running a different a different set of apps or suite mm. of apps for you know, another personal email address because there'll be a period where I'm moving from one email address to the other and, you know, things like that. So I guess those are the things I'll be thinking about. Mm. Oh, well, you can report back next time we oh, catch you. Everyone will be so excited. Excellent. All right. Hey, thanks, Patty. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, no you joining me on the show. Yep. Now, where, did, where are people uh, best to track you down? And did you have any other exciting news to do with Quick Flicks that you wanted to uh, share? So you can track me down. I am at Paddy Buckley on, on Twitter. That's probably the best place to start. In terms of Quick Flicks news, I would say look out for The Force Awakens coming in a few weeks. That's really exciting. I think that's going to absolutely smash it out of the park for us. I've got some other great new release movies coming up as well. So um, those would be the main things. I don't have any sort of cool device techie kind of stuff because, you know, bluntly, we're on we're services available on pretty much everything already. So um, there's not going to be a whole lot of new development stuff happening for the moment. But. Yeah, I, it's, one of, it's certainly one of the things I appreciate around Quick Flicks. You might not always have the biggest catalogue, but I can get your app anywhere, which is… Yes, you um, can. Is something that can't be said for for some of our other local uh, services. So, yeah, it's all all about uh, differentiation, I suppose. Yep. And um, yeah, yeah, that's all. Part and of uh, it. I mean, that having said that, there are a few uh, you know interesting new distribution options that I think will arise in the not too distant future, as I think the market develops and changes. So, if if those things arise, then we'll we'll be looking to address them. And having developed a, a wide suite of apps, it's usually not very difficult to either slightly tweak an existing app or, or come up with something new to address a, a distribution opportunity as it arises. Sounds curious. I have so no idea what you're talking no, no, that's about, fine. Well, All, the, all yeah. the better for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. All right. Um. <laughs> well, I'll come back and I'll talk about that and I'll talk about how I've got on with my uh, domain name and other Excellent. exciting things. Excellent. Um, people can track me down uh, at Paul Spain on Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, for those that are into sort of photos and yeah, across all of the other um, the other social networks. The one I have been sort of having having a little bit more of a play with is Snapchat. So, are you on Snapchat, Patty? No, I'm not. I'm afraid Snapchat is is very much being growing pretty quickly over the um, over the past few months. It just seems to be getting uh, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I think it hit number one on the uh, the the app store in the last few days for the first time so that is kind of the 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 social network to um to to look out for at the moment mm. Mm. that's the one that's uh, that's getting all the attention so not that i i've got a huge amount of content on uh, snapchat but i've posted a few uh, bits bits and pieces on there so uh, yeah. do you do things like periscope and stuff like that as well uh, yeah yep uh, 
Um, yep, do Periscope from time to time. I did a, a live stream through Periscope. Oh, when will there be a week or two ago? They've just, uh, I guess, they've just hit their one year anniversary since yep. uh, since launch. Yep. And Facebook, I did a live stream through them the other day. Um, and the word is that uh, Google are about to uh, also jump into this space. I did not know that. Um, so you've been able to live stream through into into YouTube in the past, but they're they're going to have that as a um, as a as a mobile capability that will be competing against the likes of uh, Periscope and uh, and Facebook. So mm. I think that one because it's got uh, it's got YouTube uh, sitting behind it has a has a whole heap of potential. Yeah, but it's been it's been curious sort of watching this space, and I've been certainly you know enjoying uh, experimenting a little bit, but feeling as though that this area of sort of live streaming hasn't really or has been a long way off from maturity. So the, the concepts are good and they're interesting, but when there's something missing from, from that picture. So maybe Google will be the ones to uh, to, to fill that in and, and will really own this space uh, because of the fact that uh, that it all sits around YouTube. Mm. But we'll see. We'll see. It's all That's all part of the fun in the tech world, isn't it? It certainly is. All right, well, uh, that's us for this week. Uh, you can catch us online, nztechpodcast.com. Our other podcasts are available at podcasts.nz. And look out for some some interesting content over the next few days. Uh, definitely actually worth following me on my social channels this week because I will be at uh, Microsoft Build in, in San Francisco and no doubt we'll be posting posting a few tweets, maybe some things from Periscope or Snapchat and and the like. So I'll, I might try and put those links up with the notes at nztechpodcast.com if you want to catch some of those bits, bits and pieces from Build. All right. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.